0: Bible Fellowship. This is Brother Jonathan. Today we're going to be answering the question, Can Women Be Pastors? I was asked this question by a friend of mine who lives in Uganda uh, whenever he was discussing this with some people over there, one of which who was a female who was engaged in ministry. And because over in Uganda, the largest group of professing Christians is part of the extreme Pentecostalism, you could say. The prosperity gospel is very bad in that region. And so my friend has been trying to get people back to the Word of God, um, because it's the Word of God that brought him out from these heretical groups. And so, question which we're going to be talking about kind of a little bit more than just whether or not they can be pastors, but in the role of ministry and teaching and things like that. Now, the primary thing that usually comes up with this is people who express themselves regarding this, if you talk to them about this, especially if it's them, that they start to exalt their experience over the Word of God, and this is the most common thing. Many women who become pastors or preachers do so on the basis of their own subjective experience, and not on the basis of God's Word. And I want to specify, specify whenever I say God's Word, I mean God's written Word, not um, the subjective spiritual sense of, well, God told me this, and that's His Word. That's not what I'm meaning. I mean the written Word of God, the Scriptures, the New Testament. Most say something along the lines of, well, God led me to this, or I was called to this. The fact of the matter, as we'll see later, is that that's not possible. The Word of God says the opposite, and God does not deny Himself. He does not contradict Himself. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever there are some people who go farther than that, and they simply ignore the Scriptures as being authoritative. And this happens usually in one of two ways. One, they believe the Spirit can lead contrary to the written word, as though, you know, the Spirit of God wrote um, through men these words, and that now God will do contrary to that. Or two, they believe that this is a cultural thing that is not to be continued today. And we'll look at both of those real quick before we get into the specifics and an exegetical level. Uh, one, the Holy Spirit is the author of the Scriptures. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, we read, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so the scriptures are what the Holy Spirit has authored through. Men. Um, two, the words of God are spiritual themselves. Um, in John chapter 6, verse 63, we read, It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. And so the very words of God, the very words of Scripture are spiritual. That is, they are of the Spirit. Uh, next, Christians are led by the Spirit of God, Romans eight fourteen. If you are not led by the Spirit of God, you are not a Christian. And Jesus said that for us to remain in him or abide in him, we are to keep his commandments. In John chapter 15, verses 7 through 10, we read, this is Christ specifically talking to his disciples. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. And indeed, in another place in John it says, if we continue in His word, we are His disciples. Um, We're specifically told that if someone does not consent to the teachings of Jesus, and that also the apostles, because the apostles were doing nothing but continuing to teach that what Jesus had taught them. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, uh, where we read that Christ tells them to go into all the world and preach the gospel and to teach those things which he himself had told them. So the apostles in the New Testament writings did nothing but teach what Christ himself had taught them, and they expounded upon them, they explained them. And so, whenever somebody rejects the New Testament writings, they're rejecting the words of Jesus himself. Just like Christ said, if they reject you, they reject the one who has sent you. And if they reject him, then they reject the Father. This is a chain of... They're not making up these things. They really aren't. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, we read, If anyone advocates a different doctrine or a different teaching and does not agree with sound words those of our Lord Jesus Christ. And with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Quite simply, if someone does not yield themselves to the words of Scripture then they have exalted themselves above it. This is the mark of another spirit and a false teacher. So when someone believes that the Spirit of God is going to contradict himself by telling us to do one thing on the one hand, but then telling individuals to do something else completely different and ignore the first thing, that's simply confusion and spiritual deception. That That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is consistent. He's consistent with himself and the, the very being of God. Um, the second thing brought up sometimes is that of the cultural context. Some venture to say that Paul is merely going by cultural norms at the time because the average woman in the first century was uneducated and therefore shouldn't teach. Very simply, No. Paul nowhere makes that appeal, and there's some scholars who I have great respect for who think this, And but when you read more into them and see from their background, you see that they are biased because of their own personal experience, and you see how these things go hand-in-hand, hand, people explaining away the scriptures because of personal subjective experience. On the contrary, Paul appeals to the divine order of creation, which we'll look at later particularly in just a few minutes. Paul, in other places, does quite clearly appeal to culture, such as in the case of head coverings in 1 Corinthians 11. Several times in that passage, he appeals to culture and subjective judgment instead of doctrine or divine commandment. Even in the New American Standard Bible, there's a serious mistranslation that makes it kind of ambiguous. In 1 Corinthians 11:16, 16, the word translated other, uh, toitas, um, should be translated such. It's even in the margin of the New American Standard Bible that I have. Um there's multiple other words for other um and this is just not that what they're doing is they are there's no reason other than the subjective judgment of the translators that it should be translated that way. But several times Paul makes clear that it's a cultural issue of appropriateness and not a divine commandment. It'd be the same thing culturally as um, a head coverings issue, as, you know, a woman walking in with um, a miniskirt and a very low-cut top is pretty much what it kind of translated to. But he goes out of his way to say this is a cultural thing. This is not an apostolic divine doctrine. Um, we have a whole episode on that if somebody wants to look that up. But Paul does no such thing with this issue. There is a divine order that he appeals to, and that's it. And so let's look Specifically, at this, in first Timothy chapter two, verses eleven through fifteen, we read a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet, for it was Adam who was first created, then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Now, there are two things that Paul says he does not allow a woman to do in verse 12. He says, to teach and to exercise authority. Um, two Greek words there, um, to teach, being didosko. Uh, BDAG has it um, as to tell someone what to do, instruct, to provide instruction in a formal or informal setting, Teach. And the other one for exercise authority, authentio um, um bdag says to assume a stance of independent authority, to give orders to, dictate to. So those are the two things Paul tells, says that he does not allow women to do. Some people try to conflate these two ideas together to say that they form a um which is when two words separated by a conjunction express the same idea. Like if we say... God the Father, and Jesus. We're not specifically saying those are two separate people a lot of times, though we know theologically there's a question of the Trinity, obviously. Um, But that's not what is happening here. You know, usually if that's the case, um, you know, we can tell very clearly from context. But this is where some think that Paul is merely saying that a woman should not authoritatively teach, that is, without being under an authority like a pastor over herself but that she can do lay teaching in Sunday school or home Bible studies. And some people will say things like that. They'll be like, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm just you know, a teaching um, person. I'm just a teacher at the church. I don't have a position of authority, they say. Well, this fails for one notable reason. The two words in the original are several words apart. They are not combined. If this was intended to form a hendiatus, they would be side by side. So a woman is being told to not teach at all, and not just that she can't be a pastor, preacher, teacher in a position. Now regarding that, because we have to go, there's a couple of things to think about that. The first thing to ask is, what should they not teach? Can't just assume in general. Is this regarding any subject at all, or just teaching biblical content? Uh, Bill mounts in his commentary on the pastoral epistles had this to say. The pastoral epistles are 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Um, but he says, Paul does not identify what it is that women may not teach. Um, Didaskin, in the pastoral epistles, is that's the Greek the form of the Greek verb here in this passage, 1 Timothy 2.12, um in the pastoral epistles is used in a positive sense of teaching the truth of the gospel. Um, the cognate noun, he goes on later, um, didache, it's like the teaching, um, generally the word teaching occurs twice in the pastoral epistles, both times describing the gospel message. The cognate um, didiscalia uh, teaching, occurs 15 times in the pastoral epistles, and every time except one um, in the con- in 1 Timothy 4, when referring to doctrine of demons, it refers to the gospel, and he gives lists of all those places. The overwhelming use of the word group in the pastoral epistles is, is to describe the positive teaching of the Gospels, often, as the context shows, by a person in authority. So the context for the use of the Greek word in um, didaskane in the pastoral epistles and the word group there, variations of the cognates and stuff, indicates that what is being spoken of is biblical content. That means that a woman is not being banned from speaking about a particular skill or profession that they know, for example, something like accounting, literature, science, etc. Things that are not biblical content. A woman is particularly banned from teaching biblical content to men. This should seem like common sense, since a woman is not inferior in essence or worth. They are co-heirs with us male believers in the exact same salvation. It took the exact same blood of Christ to save them as to save a male believer. There's no difference. Then it makes sense that it is not just some arbitrary command for a woman to sit down and shut up, as some people falsely teach. That idea is absent from the Scriptures, and I've seen people abuse that, where at one church that I actually was kicked out of... um, be, a somebody who else who had been a couple who had been kicked out before my wife and I we were dating at the time um they were being attacked on the church's facebook page or facebook or something and her husband was being this woman's husband was being blasted by the people in the church falsely i will say and she she spoke up on there and was like hey no this is false this is what actually happened because the pastor was lying and twisting things is what was happening if i remember correctly and somebody quoted that passage, you know, a woman's supposed to be quiet in the church, not to raise her voice. That's com- completely out of context, completely not applicable to the situation. But people abuse these things pretty much when they want a woman to be quiet, usually because they can't defend what they're doing. That idea is absent from the Scriptures. Now, on the contrary, Paul acknowledges that women should indeed teach at certain times in particular ways. Um, Consider Proverbs 22.6, train up a child on the way he should go even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Women are obviously included in general commandments about raising children. I don't know of anyone that would disagree. Um, I always think it's funny whenever Paul uh, Paul Washer, uh, reformed, but we'll let that go for the the moment, um, talked about and was rebuking men because he was people bragging about, oh, yes, we homeschool and all these sorts of things. And he said, no, you don't homeschool, your wife does. And that's true. You know, my wife and I homeschool, and whenever I mean that, I mean, my wife homeschools, and I just make it possible, you know. And so there's absolutely nothing wrong with a woman raising children. Um, in fact, if she wasn't, if she just outsourced that to other people, then people would look down on her. Uh, but in Proverbs thirty-one twenty-six, talking about the Proverbs 31 woman, she opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Uh, or within the pastoral epistles, Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage, or literally, to train the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And so it's clear then that women are free to teach things other than biblical content. And they're also free to teach other women. What should be their demeanor then? That's, you know, the next question. And then see, Paul tells us in the context and gives us a reason why. Uh, let's read the passage again. First Timothy two eleven through 15. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet, for it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. The women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. And the self-restraint there could be soundness of mind or self-control. And there are a couple of words to emphasize here. In verse 11, Paul says that a woman must quietly receive instruction. He then mentions it again in verse 12, saying, but to remain quiet, and he sets this in contrast to her teaching and exercising authority over men. The Greek word used for quietness is hesuchia, meaning state of quietness without disturbance, quietness, rest, state of saying nothing or very little silence. It is the same word used in 2 Thessalonians 3.12, where Paul says, now such persons we command exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. The second word to look at is where Paul says that they are to be quiet with entire submissiveness. Um, people don't like that word, male or female. The Greek word here is hupatage, hupatage goodness, and it has the same s- sense of the state of submissiveness, subjection, subordination, as opposed to setting oneself up as controller. It's translated in the New American Standard Bible as obedience in 2 Corinthians 9.13, and as subjection in Galatians 2.5. It's also used again in 1 Timothy 3.4 when describing the qualifications for a bishop, pastor, or elder, and those are synonyms, all of them, when Paul says that they ought to have their children under control. The word underlying control here is the same Greek word. And so let's put these couple of things together when we consider the passage. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow women to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression, but women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint or self-control. Paul says that a woman is not allowed to teach biblical content, nor to exercise authority over a man. He contrasts this by emphasizing that they ought to receive instruction with quietness and submissiveness. Then he says for Adam was first created. And usually in the Greek text, if you're looking at the Greek text there, you'll see the word gar. um, And it's usually like an explanation for what previously was said. It's like this, 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 for this happens. That's kind of what happens. And you see in the Greek text a little bit clearer. He says, for Adam was first created. He refers to the biblical order of creation. And I truly believe that is what is at the heart of this issue. Contrary to what some liberal theologians or scholars say, Christianity is not sexist. I mean, consider just the following passages. Philippians 4.3, Paul says, Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. There were women who specifically had shared his struggle in the cause of the gospel, and he even includes them as fellow workers. Um, Peter, in 1 Peter 3, 7, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. If men mistreated their wives because they were fellow heirs of the grace of life, that is particularly of the exact same grace from God and salvation, if they didn't treat them right, their prayer would be hindered. And in addition to these two places, Paul gives the wife the right over her husband's body in 1 Corinthians 7. And in fact, she's given the same rights as the husband. Um, Men are given commandments to make sure that they treat women well. They are commanded to treat all older women like their mother and the younger women as their sisters. They're commanded to love their wives like their own bodies and like Christ loves the church. There is a very high standard. Especially when taking it in the context of the first century of how women are to be regarded and treated in Christianity. That may not be what your local church on the corner does, but this is what Christianity does. And even in the writings of the early Christians outside of the Bible, you see comments and regarding these things by the anti-Nicene fathers. Um, Think about the fact that the first witnesses of Christ's resurrection were women. That was a statement. Even in Christ's earthly ministry, it was women who are mentioned several times as faithfully following and ministering to his temporal needs like food and stuff. But the only aspect of Christianity that sets forth a significant difference in women and men is the fact that they are created differently. And the world system and the flesh despise this, especially with the political landscape today here in America. Paul appeals to the fact that men were created first, then women were created as a helper suitable for him, a helpmeet. Women, or woman, was designed and made by God to be the perfect counterpart to man. They are complementary intellectually, socially, physically, and spiritually in every respect. And anyone who has a good marriage understands this and knows this. And I believe that this is at the heart of what Paul is rebuking. Um, things being out of the order in which God designed men and women to operate in. And I don't need to go very far into this for you to get the point. When women begin taking the role of men in the home, church, or etc., does it really result in increased godliness? And this cuts both ways. When men try to play the role of women, does it result in increased godliness? No. Our society right now is running rampant of every kind of perversion imaginable of people rebelling against how God designed things to be. Not just in this particular area, there's everywhere. Women wanting to be men while saying that men are pigs. There's a contradiction. Men wanting to be women because they think that God made a mistake or something. Men not wanting to work and be responsible for providing and protecting their families. Women who have become loud and contentious as a result of wanting to usurp the male role in their lives. You know, the kind who chant, kill the patriarchy, and things like that, at um, Bernie Sanders rallies. Or, probably more likely, um, Elizabeth Warren rallies. All that is at the heart of these things is rebellion against God's order. Now, am I saying that, as it pertains to the issue of women pastors, that that is what is at women's hearts? Not necessarily. A lot of women who have taken it upon themselves to make themselves pastors, preachers, or teachers, but simply because they, they have rejected God's word on the matter. They have exalted experience. You know, I believe God's leading me to this, or I had a vision or anything like that, um, that I shouldn't say delusion over what God simply said. They say things like, God led me to this. No, he didn't, because his word disagrees with you. Some people are very sincere, and they're simply ignorant of the Scriptures, or they've been raised with a certain view, um, or being influenced by things outside of the Scriptures. And others simply don't regard the Scriptures as authoritative, as we talked about first. And that means they're a false teacher. And you know exactly what Spirit led them there in the first place. It wasn't the Spirit of God. The spirit of God always bears witness and leads people in the Scriptures. The fact of the matter is that God has designed men and women to be in different roles. To say anything else is the denial of God's right over his creation. Another contribution to this issue, and I believe a major one, is that biblical manhood has fallen by the wayside. Try to get men to be godly and responsible anymore, and you'll find yourself banging your head against a wall. A godly man, that is one who has the Spirit of God leading him, doesn't want to sit at home while his wife works. He doesn't want to outsource his decision making so that he doesn't have to be responsible for anything. He understands that he is responsible for his home and what goes on there. He doesn't sit around playing video games when he should be studying God's Word. He puts his family's needs before his own. He helps to raise and teach his children. He makes sure his wife doesn't get burnout. out. He always treats his wife respectfully. That's biblical headship. It's not simply a thing where you tell your wife, I'm the head of this house to so do what I say. Headship is responsibility, not just a position of authority. Responsibility and authority go hand in hand. They are not separable in God's sight. A godly woman doesn't have to be beaten over the head about the headship of her husband because he's earned her respect and she has it written on her heart by the Spirit of God to be a helper suitable for him. And all these things transfer to the church house from the home life. No men have backbones anymore in the church. So many churches are run by the women because there's no men that are willing or even able to stand up. Half the time, the pastor is run by his family, his wife, or his mother-in-law. And it's just, uh, what's the word? And despotism or nepotism, I forget what the word is, whenever it's just the the pastor's family is running the church. And whole churches are ruined because of this. Nobody's willing to rebuke the pastor's family, and so they just quietly leave over time. It's happened so many times. A friend of mine who has since died was once visiting a mid-sized Baptist church. Um, They were considering him as their pastor. He was preaching in the evening service, and he felt that the Lord wanted him to preach on this subject, so he set aside his notes and preached on the biblical roles of men and women. Afterwards, a group of the elders and deacons came up to him together with their heads hanging low, you know, like dogs when they know they're in trouble. They said, I kid you not, there's something to this effect. I don't know if this is word perfect, this is pretty close. They said, our wives told us to give this to you, and they handed him a note. He was rejected from being pastor. He was fine with it because that's not the kind of church you want to pastor whenever the women are the ones running the church because their men don't have any backbones. And so it's not just women who are making this problem. It's not. There is a vacuum of godliness in the professing church, and it has resulted in these things. Women absolutely can serve the Lord, even in evangelism. They can witness They can discuss theological issues. They can offer insights in the Bible studies and Sunday school classes. They're not stupid or inferior. I believe I could lock my wife in a room with three average pastors, and she could probably school them on what it means to walk with God. The only difference is the roles that God has assigned to us, and the Maker knows what He has made. He knows where we will thrive, where we will be effective, and where we will be happy. And any time we begin to interfere with that, the Spirit of God will be quenched. And that's honestly why I believe usually, not maybe not always, but I don't know of an example of a sound church with a with a female preacher. I really can't think of one. Usually errors go hand in hand. One error begets another. And over time it just becomes apostasy. And it's a slow slide sometimes, but it happens. But Paul touches on the same point as he does here in First Timothy. In 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 and 35, where it says, The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Now, contrary to what cessationists, rather stupidly, try to assert sometimes, God does allow women to speak in a church fellowship. The context here is things being done in an unorderly manner. Verse 33, right before, Paul has just explained that God is not the author of confusion. Paul spent the better part of a whole chapter explaining how to keep things orderly. He proceeds to tell women to not be out of order either. Not that they cannot open their mouths in the fellowship, because Paul's already stated that they were allowed to pray in the fellowship and exercise spiritual gifts in the fellowship. And those gifts of utterance are specifically said to be given for the benefit of the body. And I've heard cessationists do hermeneutical backflips, trying to explain some of these passages away or reinterpret them. But even scholars admit that what Paul is emphasizing for women here is they should not speak out of turn, like asking questions when they don't understand something. Remember the context. Most women were uneducated at that time. And this makes sense when you consider that context in the first century. Um, Alford, a Greek scholar, says... This prohibits another kindred irregularity. They're asking questions publicly. They might say in answer to the former uh, Sigatocin, but if we don't understand anything, are we not to ask? The stress is on the Greek word methane. Um, He goes on, confining them to their own husbands, to the exclusion of other men. You know, it's like, don't be asking questions out of turn in the fellowship. Then it just becomes confusion. I've had to teach Bible studies Where it's just question after question after question. There's nothing. It's just out of order and it is extremely frustrating because you never make any headway. Um, Adam Clark says the same thing. He says, The Jews would not suffer a woman to read in the synagogue, though a servant or even a child had this permission. But the apostle refers to irregular conduct, such conduct as proved that they were not under obedience. You know, if somebody's just, whether male or female, I would say, just asking questions out of turn and in a, in a fellowship. They're being disrespectful. And the, I don't care if it's male or female, and I've seen both male and female do that. It If you interrupt the person teaching, preaching, or anything, it is very disrespectful, and it shows that you really don't respect the people around you, you don't respect the person teaching, and that's kind of what's being talked about here. And I find that the only people who interpret this differently are usually cessationists, especially Baptists, because they have to make sure that they bang the drum that God doesn't do anything anymore. You know, even if they say differently, that's practically what they say. Now, one question, uh, just real briefly to address, is people always bring this up. There's one person in the Old Testament who was consistently brought up during a conversation about this issue. There was a judge during the time of the judges that was a woman. It specifically says in the book of Judges that Deborah, a prophetess, was judging Israel at that time in Judges four. Yes, and she was a servant of God, Absolutely. Sometimes people will point to her and somehow draw an idea that women can be pastors. There's one or two problems with that. One, the context of the book of Judges is that Israel was pretty much doing their own things without following God. The constant cycle throughout the book is that Israel would turn away from following God. God would chastise them and give them over to the hands of their enemies. The children of Israel would cry out to God and humble themselves. God would have mercy and raise up a judge to deliver them. And then after some time, they would turn away from God again. That's the context of this book. Now, am saying Deborah was not a servant of God? Of course not. I would honestly assert that Deborah was raised up because nobody else was there. And that's honestly the sense you even get from reading the, through the passage. Um, notably, Deborah is not told by God to go and deliver Israel from their enemies. God tells her to send for Barak, the son of Abinoam, a man. And she merely relays the message from God to him, telling him what to do. If you wanted to find a true relationship there, God would tell her to go deliver them. Next, when Barak is hesitant to go and has, is hesitant to obey God about this, he says, "You know, if you go with me, I will go. If you don't go with me, I'm not going." Um, possibly because he was afraid, he asks her to go with him. Her reply is not, "That's my job," or "Let me show you how it's done." which is what many modern-minded women would do, she responds by telling him that she would go with him, but God is not going to give him the honor for killing Sisera, the enemy, anymore. God had just told Barak, through the prophetess, that he would deliver Sisera into his hands. That's a promise from God. When Barak was afraid and would not go alone, God responded by taking the honor of the victory away from him. And this is not in any way a picture or support for a woman to be a pastor. There is absolutely no correlation here. If anything, it is support for the reason that I said earlier. Usually these things happen when men don't fulfill their roles properly. Um, In closing, to summarize, a woman can teach other women, and she can even teach children, but she cannot operate in a position of teaching biblical content in church life over men. I would include any kind of title of pastor, elder, bishop, or deacon. Um, God is not leading women to disobey His Word. Any spirit that is leading someone against what is written in the Scriptures is not the Holy Spirit. Your experience is not authoritative. God's Word is authoritative. A woman is allowed to pray in the congregation or to operate in a spiritual gift like tongues, prophecy, and interpretation. And it should be an according to Paul's commands at 1 Corinthians 14, though. Um, she should not speak out of turn in the congregation, though, like arguing or constantly asking questions. And I would honestly apply that to the men as well. That's not order in the fellowship. A woman can engage in evangelism and she can give advice to other Christians in her daily life, just like a man. This is pretty much what Priscilla did with her husband Aquila when they helped Apollos to better understand the scriptures. Um, A woman can help a minister like how there were women who helped Paul in his ministering. Um, A woman, if she knows a particular skill or science, is allowed to teach that to others. There is no prohibition against that in the Scriptures. Actually, women are specifically encouraged in certain ways to teach others. I will end by emphasizing one thing. Women are free to disobey their husbands if their husbands are contradicting God. You are still an individual who is accountable to God. Don't allow a man, whether father, husband, or preacher, to lead you into error or sin. I have seen and know of some women who, in all honesty, just outsource their personal accountability. And they say, well, this is what my husband says, so I'm just going to not think at all and blindly follow. And there's people who have got completely... Apostatized because their husband was not a man of God anyways. And honestly, sounds like the one woman I'm thinking of got into demonic delusion, where we're getting all into the flat earth, everything, and Hebrew roots. The fact of the matter is, women are still individuals, accountable to God, partakers of the same grace as men. They are not inferior in essence or in worth. We have different roles. There is masculine and there is feminine. And there are roles that are assigned to each of us. And whenever that order begins to be skewed, we reap the consequences. And the Spirit of God in some way is going to back off a little bit. And then more error comes in because people are not submitting to the Word of God. And over a process of time, it just becomes apostasy. Thank you for listening to Remnant Bible Fellowship. We do hope and pray that you would commit your life to Christ and continue in Him. We desire to see people seeking Jesus Christ and coming to know Him personally. If you have questions about salvation, the Bible, or your own walk with Christ, please contact Brother Jonathan by email. Brother John, that's J-O-N, at remnantbiblefellowship.com. That's Brother John at RemnantBibleFellowship.com.